HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and this is episode 20. And if you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday at 1 o'clock here in Brooklyn. Welcome. Each week I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss their paths and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, your head-to-toe guide to ethical fashion and non-toxic beauty. Today's guest is anti-fashion waste advocate, Dr. Christina Dean of Hong Kong NGO Redress. Redress is celebrating its 10th year of pushing the agenda for a less polluting fashion industry amidst heightened global concerns to reduce climate change and the toxic effect that fashion is having on the people and planet. And she's in New York to announce that they've opened their EcoChic Design Award 2017 to U.S. talent. The EcoChic Design Award is a sustainable fashion design competition challenging emerging fashion designers to create create mainstream clothing with minimal textile waste. And now designers and students residing in Asia, Europe, and the U.S. have until April 3rd to apply to win the chance to create an upcycled collection for an exciting new brand, BYT, which will be retailed on BYT's e-commerce site and at Lane Crawford, among other prizes. And they're pushing sustainable fashion to the world. Welcome, Christina. Hi. So this award has been in place since 2011, the EcoChic um, Design Award. Why did you start it? Well, I started it because I became very aware of two things. Number one, that the fashion industry is obviously such a huge global polluter. Um, you know, it's widely discussed that it's the second biggest global polluter out there after the oil industry. But on the positive 
fashion designers are really important to reduce that because designers are estimated to influence around 80% of the environmental impact of products. And so if you consider these two things, one, that fashion designers are super, super important at reducing the negative impact, and then you consider, crikey, the, the fashion industry is so polluting, we have to educate fashion designers to improve the dire situation that we're in with the, with the planet. Now, um, I sometimes think, you know, education is a never, never, never ending need. Quite honestly, you can educate fashion designers, you can educate people in developing countries all around the world for so many issues. And I think we now know how important education is. But when it comes to fashion designers, if we can educate fashion designers, it is like an act of environmental activism. Educate designers, and I promise you, we will reduce the negative impact of the fashion industry. And ultimately, that is going to save lives in the future. And what do you think the biggest hurdle is? Like, what, what's impeding this this kind of movement? Especially because young designers and millennials, they they should get it. They, you know, they're kind of inundated. They understand global warming um, in a way that maybe elders don't. Mm. Um, so, what is what's inhibiting the the change? Do you know what? There's nothing in inhibiting the change. That's the good news. The change is actually happening. What's in, the only obstruction that we have is the scale of the amount of people that we need to educate, quite honestly. I see no massive barrier to educating designers because I think once you tell them... Look, there's two things you've got to tell them. Number one, a lot of designers don't want to be um, sort of moralistic. They don't actually feel that they need to be the ones to be sort of having a green halo. So there are some designers who are truly, truly ethical to their core, and that's fantastic. But the thing that we've got to impress on designers is that they have to be sustainable. This is not a moral decision. For them to be successful in their careers, they absolutely must be sustainable. This is not actually, quite honestly, about ethics. This is about being smart. And so I think what is the, to me, there is no reason why any smart young designer wouldn't say, yes, I want to be educated about sustainability because I want to survive. So there's no obstacle in my view. The challenge, we have a lot of challenges. The challenge is actually reaching emerging designers um, and telling them the, the information. That's the only challenge. Yeah. And so for you, when you think about waste reduction, are you talking about like an, the economic impetus? Or are you talking about like the overall resource usage? Um, <clears throat> well, going back to emerging designers. Well, OK, to truly, truly educate them, honestly, you need to tell them everything. And that is a that is a huge challenge. The reason with the EcoChic Design Award that we just specifically focus on waste reduction is because it's one easy low-hanging fruit to get in there and tell them how to reduce waste now we tell them how to reduce the physical matter of textile waste because by reducing textile waste you have a lot of um in intended co positive consequences which is to reduce water chemicals co2 greenhouse gas and coming back to your question around economic benefit if you can reduce textile waste you're going to economically benefit as well and that's always important we all know that come on people people are driven by money and and i'm quite comfortable with it by saying that you need to be driven by money any sustainable business you've got to start looking at money so if we can tell designers reduce textile waste source textile waste these have economic benefits to the designer as well yeah. yeah, we've talked about that a lot on this show. We've had quite a few um, upcyclers. So what's been the most inspiring use of textile waste that you've seen through the past winners 
Like wh- who stands out as, or you don't have to pick one. You can yeah. pick two. Um, <clears throat> I think the last cycle winner, this um, girl, Pat from Poland, I, what I liked about her source of waste is that she had got some damaged polyester, which had been white. It was quite a boring, low-value waste polyester. Um, and she'd applied um, a very... A, a graphic design that she had developed and printed onto this waste and I th- what I liked about that is that that she had truly upcycled the value of this polyester into something that was really beautiful and truly upcycled so I, I really liked that we had another designer a Hong Kong designer who created his own textile by um, reweaving different types of textile waste that he had shredded but the finished product was really a very beautiful um, very expensive looking new in inverted commas textile oh that's amazing and so what's the process for them to apply for the award so at the moment we're looking for designers with less than three years industry experience or students um, and they have to apply by doing an application form which is just sketches at this stage the important thing is that they have to source their textile waste with any type of upcycling or um yeah with upcycling you know you have to start with your waste so even though they're not currently required to create a collection they need to source their textile waste give us all the patterns um for their collection and then apply online at our website and do you think that's that's the the big learning point for a lot of young designers is to figure out where to find textile waste or do you think it's it's pretty ubiquitous that that every designer knows how to get access to well i think the first thing is um designers need to realize there's so many sources of textile waste out there you know often when you say textile waste people go oh what's that then you know um but you know we accept all types of textile waste, which can be pre-consumer, factory overruns, damaged fabrics, um, post-consumer waste, curtains, bedspreads. Um, you know, you can shred um, industrial fiber, uh, textile waste. You know, there is so much and so many sources out there that designers can can find. So I don't. I mean, I could. I could. I could list. The amount of places that designers go to for waste is, is quite unbelievable. And I was just at an exhibition in um, New York yesterday or the day before, and I saw new sources of textile waste that I'd never never considered, um, which is, I can't remember the name. You know the side of a fabric? You get the severage? On the, do you, selvage? Selvage, yeah. Okay. See, I never knew about that. <laughs> so there you go, a new source of textile waste that I didn't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not a designer myself. but um, So there's far too much textile waste out there that's the sadness actually and also the impetus maybe for design right because there's so many also designers whether they're zero waste designers or Mm -hmm. upcycled like some of the best things we've seen you and i've been in the ethical fashion um realm for almost a decade so the the number of designers we've seen who've really taken upcycling to the next level Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about from somewhere um particularly the collection Mm -hmm. she did with the speedo materials right reed ouse who i know is one of the judges Mm -hmm. on your on your award like there's just been some amazing just some amazing work that comes out of upcycling well the tragedy is honestly that there's just too much textile waste up that out there so upcycling is not exactly revolutionary i'm afraid to say because it's quite revolting how much fabric waste there is out there and i know that because i'm based in asia um, and i've spoken to so many companies and so many brands and so many uh, manufacturers who are sitting on 
bewildering amounts of textile waste. And I think one of the problems that we've got with upcycling is it always sounds a bit niche and a bit tiny and not scalable. And I'm really passionate about one day proving that it can be really scalable. And the reason that I say that is because I just know the millions of yards that are sitting in warehouses out there that nobody wants and it it's there exactly and so like i think geography plays a role in our relationship in the way that we think about the environment so for myself being from canada it gives me a solid appreciation of clean air and clean water how does geography and particularly living in hong kong contribute to your motivation to start redress fundamental i mean you know i'm british i think i speak more poshly than the queen (laughs) i don't know if that's true Uh, That's not true. I'm joking. um, I was actually brought up in South Africa. Then I was raised in the UK. And when I went to to Asia 11, 12 years ago, specifically Hong Kong, that's completely what changed my life because I suddenly was surrounded by toxic hell from air to water to land. You know, um, if I was a very good thrower, I could almost throw a stone into China from my back garden. I'd probably be Olympic, you know, record. But um, I was close. And I lived there for a long time. And when you breathe it, live it, you know, I've really messed with my kids' lungs. We have the most revolting air pollution where I've been living. Um, 60% of China's groundwater is classified as being unfit for human touch. And that is absolutely appalling. A couple of years ago, I went on a bike ride because I love cycling. And I cycled um, from my back door to Vietnam through southern China because I wanted to have a look at it much closer because you know I've traveled a lot in China but not on a bicycle so I went for a week um, cycling 12 hours a day um, and it was heartbreaking because that takes you through the south right did you go through Guangzhou and that's where all the 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 manufacturing is yeah okay and it's very very close so you have these mega mega cities very close to Hong Kong each city is you know five million people specifically manufacturing one particular thing whether it's you know garments in one textile style in another trims in the next buttons zippers you know uh, the list goes on to include you know mining tiles doorknobs electronics it's just tragic and um for me going back to your question about geography it was actually truly and utterly it almost broke my will because i thought it's it's just so disgraceful i mean you know us humans we we, we kind of think we're special but what <laughs> When you go and see how people are living, how special are we that we can knowingly carry on when we are actually really, truly killing other people by our consumption habits and by not changing the system that is actually making people die? You have 450 cancer villages in China where cancer rates have rocketed up high. You know, and I often think to myself, and I don't know the answer to this, but look, if you are living in a, and I, I should really, I should know the answer to this, but let me sound me out on this. Um, if you look at a development issue, you know, you have two poor families, let's just say. Two poor families are both dependent on the male worker, let's just say. In one family, the male worker dies outright. Let's just pretend he was in Rana Plaza, dead. He leaves behind a poor family. But then you might have another family, a similar situation, where the man doesn't die but he's got terminal cancer because he wasn't working in Rana Plaza. He was living in China next to a disgusting, polluted river. And he died over the course of, let's just say, 10 years, this hypothetical man. What is worse for that family? The family who's got no money and then they have to put up with someone that's dying for 10 years... I mean, it's appalling. Quite honestly, I actually just think it's from a... This is so... I don't usually talk about this, forgive me, but I think from a development perspective, perhaps it's better that they just die outright. Well, I mean, it's certainly... I mean, we're going to get lots of calls, I'm sure, because because the sanctity of life and that just raises so much kind of... um, 
conversation in this country but mm. i think that i think that you're right but i think that there's also this and also and because it's such a trying political time this is also kind of wading into um sketchy waters but there's something about being an outsider i think there's something about being an immigrant that that gives you this kind of clarity or this this drive to do something different so how did you how did you how did you get motivated to take what you saw mm. and put it into action it was very easy because I'm so appalled. I, I'm still completely appalled when I think of these amazing people who truly suffer because of everybody else's consumption. It hurts. And for me, I, I, it motivates me down to the, every single hair on my head. I, I, I don't need... I don't know how to answer the question because I just find it so appalling. So I'm very passionate about that. So did you just start redress by yourself? Did you yes. call the local government? Did you... Oh, no, I just started... I started it in Hong Kong quite... I mean, that was like tw 10 years ago when I started it. Um, yeah, I just started an NGO. I, I, it feels like a long time ago. I'll sort of forget how it all happened. No, I just registered it. I started fundraising. I went to see the fashion industry. I started banging on doors. I, and it all just started. It was very, I, I remember the very first event that I went to, it wasn't your first event, mm. but my first experience with Eco Chic. And you had created this amazing event in Geneva mm. at the UN. Mm. So here we were talking about ethical fashion in the UN chambers. And then you had this fashion show with mm. some of the most incredible designers, mm. supermodels in the League of Nations. Mm. And I just had this really, because I had only been blogging, I think, for two or three years at that point. Mm. And I just had this epiphany, like the, this is really the cross section of fashion and human rights. Mm. This is exactly the right place to be having this conversation. How did you get motivated or what was the drive to kind of make that happen okay well on that i might not straightly answer your question but with that event with the united nations it was three years into redress and um i thought this is a turning point you know have, i've only started this organization and then within three years we're working with the united nations to promote biodiversity conservation and to promote how the fashion industry can support human rights, biodiversity, conservation, etc., etc. Now, how do I find the motivation for that? I, again, I don't know how to answer the question because I, I am so deeply ingrained in this topic. So it's, it's living in my blood. I don't know where it comes from. But, um, but I think what was really interesting about that particular event, and, and thank you for raising it, um, is that after that event, I had a bit of a crisis, actually, a crisis in the direction that I wanted to pursue redress because at that particular event we were promoting sustainable ethical fashion you know fair trade principles we we're promoting alternative fibers from all over the world and and everything and then i left thinking i don't understand what is the best way forward that's really tangible that you can actually demonstrate impact and i felt so overwhelmed after that event because on the one hand it isn't it brilliant that there are so many innovations out there isn't that wonderful but on the other hand which way forward do we push 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 and i left that thinking i I have got no clue what to do. And so we changed our focus and we now, after that event with the UN, with um, we just focus on waste reduction. Which is so funny because one, that was one of my epiphanies at that event as well because you had done this catering. You had catered with leftover food. And it was so novel to me. 
I, yeah. w- I was really taken because right. it was because because we don't even know we're just starting to talk about food waste yeah. but food is one of the innovators or one of the motivators for me in ethical fashion like the way that people kind of took to organic labels and, and that organic food movement grew from nothing to 10% penetration mm-hmm. in five years mm-hmm. I thought ethical fashion could have the same thing yeah. so when you started to show what could be made and what was delicious about food waste I just had this epiphany about waste well you know that's really funny I, I'm you've got a very good memory but um yeah so at that event we surprised the very influential audience by um saying you're about to have the most incredible dinner and it's all waste and you know there was sort of a nervous laughter people were probably thinking oh, i'm gonna get sick but to rewind on that what was interesting i used to be a dumpster diver and um i haven't done it for a few years actually but at the time i was trawling bins at night time f- salvaging food because i'm so interested in waste and that was the seed of why we therefore were serving the united nations guests with rubbish and food <laughs> it was because of my early dumpster day- diving days and actually perhaps something i wasn't expecting that we would talk about this but after that event, um, I supported my colleague at the time in founding a food bank, and it's called Feeding Hong Kong. And this year, we are redistributing one million meals wow. that would otherwise have ended up in landfill. So um, back in the days of that event, um, it became quite a... Um, we separated the organization, basically, into food and fashion. So you were there at the very last moment that we were one organization. And then we gave birth to Feeding Hong Kong and to a stronger focus on waste reduction in fashion. Sorry, it's complicated. It's amazing. (laughs) Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chouchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Want, 
And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black, and I'm sitting today with Dr. Christina Dean. So let's, I'm still going to take you on a kind of a sentimental journey. So in 2013, you made this pledge, and you wore only thrifted clothes for the whole year. Now that I know about your dumpster diving history, I'm assuming that wasn't the first time that you were fully thrifted <laughs> out. Like, what's what's your relationship with um like these kind of close fasts or, or, or making radical um, shifts in, in your consumption? Okay, well, now you can see that I eat rubbish and I wear rubbish. You know, you, there's a similar thread coming through here. But um, to go back to your question, so in 2013, I committed to only wearing other people's chucked away clothes. It actually wasn't even thrifted. I was, okay. I was way down dumpster diving because I, I, I just love rubbish. <laughs> you might not look it to look at me. I hope I don't look like She's I've come totally out of the bin. stylish. No, <laughs> I wish we could, actually we'll take a photo. So we'll put it up on social. Um, so what happened actually was this. So in 2013, I took a TV crew up into China and we were filming some really good factories that we've been involved in with um, and a big project with Esprit. And we made this global rollout of this recycled textile collection that was saving the planet a little bit of CO2 and a drip of water at a time. And we were so proud. It really was an amazing project. However, on that same shoot with this TV crew, um, I went to one of Hong Kong's landfills and um, I spent three hours there watching whilst we shot. And um, basically the rubbish trucks were just coming up and up and up and up, dumping load after load after load of rubbish. And I just had such an overwhelming slap in the face. Like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, we are pushing for the industry to become more sustainable. And every tiny victory that the industry has, of which there are many, if consumers keep just chucking the stuff into the landfill, what, what is the point? And I, I, it was a slap in the face. Um, and as a result of that, I said to myself, right, for one year, I'm only going to wear other people's chucked away clothes because I want to find out what are they throwing away and why. So um, now you, you, when we talk about landfills, I mean, to segue somewhat, landfills have got more and more and more clothing waste in them, which is obvious. Okay, I think you understand why i mean that's fast fashion that's overconsumption. so i decided to wear chucked away clothes now unfortunately i couldn't access the landfill every day to as my wardrobe i would definitely be dead by now if i had instead what i did is i had access to a clothes recycling center which is essentially when you dump your clothes off for recycling where those clothes go to get sorted and so i was allowed in there so i wore clothes freshly dumped from the hong kong consumer for a whole year I wore a different outfit every day, which was a real pain in the you-know-what. So tedious trying to put a different outfit on every single day. And it was a social media experiment, which actually truly transformed the way that I dress completely. Um, and the reason that it transformed the way that I dress is because I learned so much from wearing other people's rubbish. Um, in a way, I forgot what my sense of fashion taste actually is because I was only able to wear people's rubbish. So I lost my sense of fashion, but I gained a sense of style. And I know that sounds very lofty, but I actually have for the first time understood that to be really stylish, you actually have to know who you are. And I value ethics. And for me, it's very difficult to wear clothes if I don't know where they've been made, how they've been made. So for me, by wearing other people's rubbish and other people's dumped clothes, I developed style because for the first time, I was really, 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 really happy because I knew I was completely ethical because I was wearing stuff out of the bin. 
It's true. And yeah. in, in that, in most of those posts, you look like so chuffed and so happy, even yeah. though you're wearing what would be probably considered an ugly Christmas yeah. sweater in March. And you know, the other thing I noticed, because some days I, I thought, crikey, I look terrible today. How the hell am I going to go to a meeting looking like this? But actually, I learned a sense of humor. And quite honestly, half the time, people don't really notice what you're wearing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The whole it's it, the whole fashion industry somehow uh, people put way too much pressure on what they're wearing. There's a really interesting piece of research that came out of Canada um, about clothing waste because th- this is a problem. Like it's just the consumers are dumping it into landfills left, right, and center, and and most landfills are really trying to grapple with what to do with it. And so this um, municipality in Canada did this study, this market research study, and the people in the panel said that they did not want to if they had bought it at fa- fast fashion they. They were they didn't deem it worthy to mm-hmm. donate mm-hmm. so somehow in their mind it was junk already so mm-hmm. so in this purchase like so they just listed a whole bunch of fast fashion brands and mm-hmm. said okay if you had a, a garment from this retailer would it go to charity or would it go to yes. landfill yeah. and every single fast fashion yeah. brand kind of ticked what? up for landfill because yeah. they it just it didn't have any value. value yeah yeah no I know it's uh, it's sad if you already buy new stuff and you already think that it has no value in end of life that's quite sad but i mean i i found um i found all sorts of clothes in the bin uh, of course lots of fast fashion brands but the difference with the rubbish because I, I also went to um recycling centers in the uk to find clothes and obviously a lot in hong kong and the differences that i found were quite interesting the the bin in hong kong was full of so many brands that you will never ever 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 hear of because they're manufacturers in china who've developed their own brands mm. so it's basically um knocked off not very stylish very cheap brands with all sorts of fantastic chinese names and um, Asian names. <clears throat> so the bin would be littered with thousands of brands. In the UK, the bins there were littered with the big famous high street brands, the famous obvious ones. I don't need to say which ones they are. But also so much Indian so many Indian clothes. I found the most beautiful saris, you know. Aww. So it was really interesting. There was a lot more ethnic and different cultural waste in the UK bins than in the Asian bins. They were, they were in the Hong Kong bins, sorry. Um, and actually, you know, the, the most common name in, in London is Muhammad. Okay. And I could see that in the bin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was quite interesting. You can learn so much about a culture from the bins, seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, let's have another show where we just come back and talk about <laughs> dumpsters and culture. Okay, so let's let's end this um, in illuminating conversation with what should consumers do? If you when you meet somebody on a plane and, and they ask you, mm. Oh, you're into, you know, wasteless or waste free fashion, mm. what's your one kind of nugget of advice that you give to people? People off the street. Okay, it's um, it's as simple as this. I actually think people need to really fall in love with fashion, and really enjoy the beauty that fashion actually is. And by doing that, I think people would essentially buy fewer clothes, maybe spend a little bit more on them. Even if you're buying secondhand clothes, save up, buy the best you can possibly get. Really love what you're going to buy, and you know you you should really desire it. And if you desire it buy it love it take care of it wear it for longer style it differently style it your way keep it in the fashion loop and finally one 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 day when you want to get rid of it obviously swap it pass it onto a second hand shop whatever it is so when i say love fashion it basically means buy less and buy better 
Exactly. And then what's the nugget that you tell designers, emerging designers, big fashion names? Like what's the one thing that they should be doing? I think they want to protect their business. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not keen on morals for this sector, for the industry. I'm keen on designers understanding that if they don't do it, they're going to have a challenging future. And so for the ones who want to take part in the EcoChic Award, how do they get details? So they need to go to, we've got two websites, but for the competition, it's ecochicdesignaward.com or from our redress, which is redress.com.hk for Hong Kong HK. And once they go there, they will be bombarded with inspiring information that will leave them desperate to apply. Awesome. And what's the deadline again? April? 3rd, 3rd of April, and 2017. Yeah. Anybody who lives in Europe, anybody who lives in the US, and anybody who lives in Asia. Absolutely. With less than three years industry experience. Right. Okay. All you designers don't forget. So I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Christina Dean. Thank you to Magnifico Radio Engineer, David Tatashore. Thank you to Metro Jesus for the music. You can find and subscribe to Magnifico Radio on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, kindly give us a rating. It helps us rank higher amongst conventional fashion podcasts and to push these conversations forward. Want to learn more about textile waste and other issues in the apparel industry? Visit Magnifico.com and check out our hundreds of stories or sign up for our newsletter. And if you have any feedback, questions, want to be a sponsor or recommend a guest, please email me at radio at magnifico.com. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.